Welcome in, everybody. This is the Falcons podcast on a soggy Monday morning in June in Atlanta. Uh, my name is Scott Kennedy. I go by Scout Kennedy, as you can see here. Kind of a play on words uh, when I worked at Scout.com for a long, long time and ended up being a social media calling sign for me. So that worked out well. Um, lots to talk about today. You know, for a slow Atlanta Falcons news day, there hasn't been a ton going on. That doesn't mean we don't have a lot to talk about. A couple of the things I wanted to get into today is talking about the, the raised expectations with the Atlanta Falcons. And therefore, if the Falcons are going to meet those expectations, who really has the most to prove? What, what players have to meet expectations that they may have not in the past? Or maybe they have, they've fallen off, but who has really the most to prove in order for this team to, to reach where they can? I'm riffing off an idea. I think it was um, Matt Urban at uh, Falcons Wire, USA Today Sports, put that out recently. And we, we, uh, we did hit on it on all Falcons. I wanted to talk about that today. Uh, Bleach Report ranked the top 10 or so backfields, running back duos in the NFL, where the Falcons came in, where you think they may come in. And then it got me to thinking, uh, y'all have heard me talk about before, one of the things that gets frustrating as a, a long-time Atlantan, Atlian, I'm not even sure how, how you spell that, ATL, you know, you've seen it written. Someone who's been from Atlanta and watched Falcons a long time, Falcons could always run the ball. So who were the best backfield duos for the Atlanta Falcons? So in the NFL, Algier and Robinson, where do they stack up? And it got me to thinking, where will they stick, stack up historically among some of the best backfield duos that the Atlanta Falcons have had? Because even in the 80s, when they couldn't win a game, they could run the ball. They had a couple pretty good running backs, several of them. I uh, want to say hi to some folks that have come in, say hey to uh, Michael Rancuse coming in from Arizona. He says, good morning, Scott and Nick on the Falcons podcast. Yeah, I shoot Nick a note uh, on Monday, say, hey, if you can make it, great. If not, I'll carry this thing on Monday mornings, but we want to be here. Mr. Smith is in here as well. He says, yo, hello, and Alan says, good morning, guys. Good morning, and I expect some of our Facebook flock to be joining us before too long. That one reaches out into the, the Facebook fear a little bit slower than some of the others. Yeah, there we go, and Keith has found us already. Keith says, good to see you, Scott. Good morning. Good morning to you as well, Keith. Glad y'all can make it in. So... Uh, talking about the most approved, obviously, number one on that list coming in is Desmond Ritter. So we won't spend a lot of time on that one. That that one's far away the number one answer as far as as, as most approved. And that was what they had at Falcons Wire too, Desmond Ritter. Uh, by electing not to go after an established quarterback, Matt Urban was writing. They they put all their eggs. It's Matt, it's 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 Desmond Ritter or Bust. And I don't know if it's necessarily Desmond Ritter or Bust because Taylor Heineke is a is a pretty good backup option. Uh, I would say that the running back room looks stronger this year than it did last year. Uh, you know, Marcus Mariota hadn't done a whole lot in the previous couple of years, where Heineke has had some success with Washington. So, you know, if if, if Desmond Ritter busts, then Heineke is there to kind of salvage the season. But I don't think you're looking necessarily at playoffs, uh, where. If Desmond Ritter meets these expectations and had a nice start last year to his career, if he can push forward with that, then uh, then the Falcons should be in the hunt for the playoffs come 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 December. That one's easy for me. I 100% agree with that one, and uh, I don't think anybody else would. Where where I've had problems is where people come out and say like, "Yeah, you're not sure what you've got, but he's terrible." you know, wait, what? We don't know what we've got. Let's, let's wait and see. I'm not passing judgment on this kid just yet. He's got four games under his belt. And frankly, three of those four look pretty good. Um, 
second on the list for them, and I'll just run through these real quick because there's some that I wanted to that I added because I hadn't looked at this list when I came up with a mental list of my own. But Jesse Bates, uh, safety, big money, free agent, absolutely. Um, I don't think he's been up, up to a Pro Bowl yet, and he just got big time money. He just got paid like he was a Pro Bowl guy, really young. I think he's 25 years old, 24, 25 years old. Um, actually, he's the same age as Richie Grant, so I think he's 26, but still really young. You get a five-year contract on him, you're getting the prime years of his career. And that's uh, someone who has has a lot to prove coming in with that. Anytime you sign a big money deal like that, and you're not already an established superstar, so to speak, you have a lot to prove. The Falcons' defensive secondary, it's not ju- it, it has been revamped because another guy on this list is Jeff Okuda. Jeff Okuda was the number three overall pick by the Detroit Lions. The Falcons got him for a fifth round pick, and the Lions are kicking in some cash. He needs to revamp his career. It, it, I would love to see him in the same boat that Caleb McGarry was in last year. Caleb McGarry did not have his fifth year option picked up. He's playing on the fourth year deal. You're thinking, okay, they're going to ride him out and then cut him. You know, then he'll be gone. Okay, that was a waste of draft pick. And he worked his way into an eight figure deal. Um, so he's making what, 12 million, somewhere in that range, 12, 14 million off the top of my head, uh, making good money. And I'd love to see Jeff Okuda play his way. It's like, oh, well, if he's really good, then you have to pay him. Well, so what? So so, so what? If he's really good, he's really good. And if you lose him because he goes and signs somewhere else, you lost a fifth year, a fifth round draft pick to get one year of a really good starting cornerback. He has struggled in Detroit relative to his draft status. That's why he was gotten for a fifth round pick and some cash. But the traits are still there. The tools are still there. He's being penciled in as a starter opposite AJ Terrell. And like I said, if he has a big year, he could get an eight-figure deal coming out of this out of this season. Lots to prove there. Um, sticking in the defensive backfield, I say AJ Terrell. AJ Terrell was one of the guys in my mind um, going into his fourth season. Okay. First year was okay. Second year was fantastic. One of the top, if you look at PFF and we use our eyesight, um, the, the, you know, the eye grades on him, he was one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL last year, dropped off just a little bit. He'll be going into his contract season. He'll he's had his fifth year option picked up or if it hasn't, it will, there's not much doubt there. Where will he go from there? Can he return to excuse me, a top five level of play, excuse me. Can he return to a top five, top 10, top five level of play that he was at two years ago? We'll see. But I think AJ Terrell still has a little bit to prove. Um, So that entire defensive backfield, really, and you could, you could even count uh, Richie Grant in that, in that boat as well. Struggled a bit as a rookie. Better as a as a second year guy going into his third year, starter with Bates, with AJ Terrell, with Akuda. For me, you could use that whole defensive secondary as have, having something to prove. I think that is th- those are all those guys. So uh, just in the defensive backfield, and then some questions coming in, some hellos coming in. As Facebook is starting to open up. Uh, Anthony Evans, he's saying good morning. Good morning, Anthony. Mark Schrader is here as well. Good morning, Mark, coming in from Texas. Um, how are you this morning, my friend? Um, going back to uh, 
going back to where Keith asks, he says, how long is the leash on Ritter with Heineke in the background? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's it's relative to how he plays, obviously. Um, you know, if you're three games in and he just looks completely overwhelmed, you you make a move. If, you know, it's it's struggling a little bit, they're still getting the Ws, then his leash is going to be longer. So Heineke wasn't brought in there necessarily to, I mean, he's there to be a backup quarterback. Ritter's your starter until proven otherwise. So I think he's got a relatively long leash. It's just that, again, the, the question marks around Ritter, if he plays like he did the last three games of, la- of last season, it's his, job for the, it's his job for the whole year. Ritter will be just fine. If, uh, you know, his first start, he threw 25 passes for like 50 yards. You know, obviously that's not going to cut it. That was his first start in the NFL. You know, big, big, big surprise. Uh, rookie quarterback struggles and first start. Wow. You know, big headlines there. So, Keith, I, I think I think Ritter's got a plenty long leash relative to how he plays. If he's playing, I mean, I know that's a simple statement, but he can struggle to figure things out as long as he's not, he can struggle and still keep his job. If he's just woeful, then obviously they would probably make a move fairly quickly. Um, Keith follows up with, with another guy. He asks, he says, does Kyle Pitts have something to prove given his draft status? He was one of my guys, uh, Keith. If I'm putting together a list of top five, I would put Kyle Pitts on something to prove. You're starting to hear questions about his draft status, you know, not bust with the injuries, but, you know, disappointment, you know, he came out and had the second most receiving yards ever for a tight end in the NFL as a rookie last year, he was under 400 yards and he still only has three touchdowns in his career. Yeah. He's got something to prove. Um, I think he, for reasons we've talked about before, you know, Matt Ryan's the best quarterback he's, he's had in his two seasons in the league. Uh, it was either Mariota or Matt Ryan, and frankly, most of us would rather have Matt Ryan throw us the ball. He also became one of the only offensive downfield weapons for the Atlanta Falcons, and they bracket him. You know, how do you how do you justify only three touchdowns in the red zone? He's triple covered. And when Matt Ryan was his quarterback, I did a video on it when, when uh, the Falcons played the 49ers. The 49ers sent two edge guys for pressure. Dropped two defensive tackles into coverage with a zone. It wasn't even a zone blitz because they only rushed two from the seven-yard line. Dropped nine into coverage, and they hit Matt Ryan with, with a two-man rush. They hit him. Meanwhile, they put four guys, you know, boxing one on Kyle Pitts. Yeah, that's why Kyle Pitts isn't scoring touchdowns. This, defense, this offense should be a lot better. But, yes, I do think Kyle Pitts has something to prove this year. He would absolutely be in my top five. Uh, D Sloan coming in says, good morning, Mr. Kennedy. What's your season record prediction? D, right now, that is a great question, and I reserve the right to make changes. You know, I can, I can, I'll give you a, a floor, give you a ceiling, and I'll pick somewhere right in the middle. I can't see this team losing more than, than, than they have in the last two years. It's, it's infinitely better on paper. You know, they were 7-10 and 10 two years in a row. They've improved this roster dramatically. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The offense is really good as far as the the weapons that are available. The question becomes Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, who has the most to prove. You know, he's got some receivers. He's got uh, one of the best running back duos, trios in the NFL. He's got uh, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. It's set up for him to succeed. Could they use one more wide receiver? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But, 
you know, it, when two years ago you look back and you're like, okay, you've got Chris Lindstrom, Jake Matthews. Um, let's see, you started the season with Calvin Ridley, but you never really had him, rookie Kyle Pitts, and that was about it. You were in trouble, you know. So this is a pretty competent looking offense. And then the defense, they've they've brought in some legit football players where even just two years ago, you're looking at AJ Terrell and Grady Jarrett, and then what? Foyer played really well. Uh, the safeties were a couple of journeymen. The opposite corner was Foyer Luacon, or I'm sorry, not Foyer Luacon, was Fabian Moreau. What a disaster that was. The defensive line was suspect other than Grady. So there's just so much more talent here that I just can't see them losing more, not winning at least seven games like they have the last two years. And then, you know, the schedule's pretty light that if, if you say they should win more, you go and take care of your home games and then your road games. You've got the Arizona Cardinals on here. You've got the AFC South on here. The NFC South is not good. Shoot, there's 10 of your games right there that you could be favored in eight of them. Um, so I think a ceiling on this team would be somewhere around 12 and five. So I think 10 and seven is, is a, a, a good number for me right now, D and, and y'all listening that I would go, um, 10 and seven. That would probably be my prediction right now. I think they can be better than that. I do. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Atlanta guy. I'm, I'm rather on the cynical side of things. So 10 and seven to me is saying, I think this team's going to be pretty damn good. So, uh, Marco Z coming in, he says, good morning, Red Stallions. Always great to catch a show live. Yeah, they leaned into that one and had some fun. Um, Tennessee Titans and the Red Stallions. That one was uh, that one was a good show. Other players to prove. Let me hear some of your thoughts in the in the chat, too. That's why we do this live. It's more fun if, uh, if y'all are involved. Um, how about B. John Robinson? I'm going to use a first-round pick on a running back and know that the lifespan on a running back isn't necessarily as long as other positions. I know I'm giving up my um, cost benefit of a high draft pick. Why do you like having cost-controlled rookies? Because you don't have to pay them as much as you do on second contracts if they're really good. Um, you know What would Drake London would be worth right now? What would Kyle Pitts be worth right now on the open market? Well, probably three or four X. However, when you do that with a running back in the top 10, you know, the top, this, this average salary contract puts him like number seven in the NFL already. So you're giving up the cost control benefit. You're giving up the, um, the longevity, the, there's not even really a scarcity of good running backs. And my argument against Bijan Robinson at the time was you don't need to have an elite running back to have an elite running game. And I think the Falcons had a really good running game last year. Uh, but they will use they will use Bijan Robinson in a variety of ways. He'll play some of the slot. He'll get some wide receiver action when he's when you got Tyler Algier in the backfield. But I think Bijan Robinson's coming in with some pressure on his shoulders. I, I absolutely do. And you don't normally like doing that for a rookie, but you know, he's gonna get several million dollars to to uh, to work that out. But when you're drafting a running back top 10, he's got to contribute right away. He has to, uh, you know, how many second, how many second contract running backs have really worked out in the last 15 years. So you're talking five years and maybe a franchise tag. That's six years of control. Um, that's a long time for a running back. So I think Bijan Robinson has, uh, has a lot to, has a lot to prove. And, and at least even if not to prove, well, yeah, definitely prove, but high expectations. 
He's got to come in and be an impact player right away to justify taking him with the number eight pick, taking a running back with the number eight pick in the, in the draft. He has to come in and be an impact player right away. So that's another one for me for Bijan Robinson. Um, how about Caleb McGarry? Caleb McGarry uh, was pretty poor. His first, didn't pick up his fifth-year option, four years in the league. No, see, I get the math wrong on this sometimes. It was three years, and then he played on his fourth year, didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so it was his fourth year last year. First three in the league last year he, he, coming in, he was, he was pretty poor. That's why he didn't have his fifth-year option played. So he played on his fourth-year deal, pending free agent, and was really good. If you look at how he played, passing the eye test and the PFF rankings, he ended up the number four offensive tackle in all of football last year. But he didn't get paid like a top five offensive tackle last year. So maybe there's some questions in there, you know, about scheme fits or was he really as good as we thought? Does he revert back to the norm, which was poor or even average? So I think Kayla McGarry is in there. I think he uh, he still has to prove, listen, that last year wasn't a fluke. Kind of like I said about A.J. Terrell. A.J. Terrell was still good last year, don't get me wrong. But in year two, he was really, really good. Um, you know, all pro level good. So Caleb McGarry was one of the top right tackles in the NFL last year. Can he do it back-to-back years? The Falcons are betting he can. Um, I think he can as well. I think Dwayne Ledford has been just spectacular as an offensive line coach with the Falcons. Um, you know, Arthur Smith is going to scheme to get the best out of his offensive line. And it's a very highly paid offensive line right now. Um, you've got two rookie contracts. Jake Matthews is making a ton of money. Uh, Chris Lindstrom is now the highest paid offensive guard in football. Well-deserved. And, and Kayla McGarry is now making uh, eight figures as well. So I think um, I think Kayla McGarry is on there. Let's let's hop back into the chat real quick to, to, to answer some questions. Uh, we've got several Facebook folks coming in here hitting likes, but I've only got, or, or asking questions, but I only got two likes on here. Y'all help me out. Get, uh, get, get, put a like, put a like on there. Uh, helps, help spread it out to other, uh, Facebook fans and, and Atlanta fans on Facebook. It's a, it really is a big help. Um, Walter McNeil comes in and welcome Walter. That feels like a, a new name. So appreciate you being in here today. He says, will they win the division or be wild card or not make the playoffs? It's tough to predict what the other teams are going to do, but I think I think if they're going to make the – obviously, if you make the playoffs, if you win the division, you're in the playoffs. It depends on how good – people are looking down at this NFC South squad for pretty good reason. How much, how much can the Carolina Panthers improve? Do the Buccaneers have anything left? And the Saints are kind of a wild card, no pun intended out there. If they can get anything out of Desmond Ritter, I feel like the Falcons should be favored in this division. I really do. So 11 wins, wins the division. 10 puts you in the in the race for a wild card, Walter. So how about that? And I said 10 and 7. 10 and 7 could win this division too. They'll be in the division race until the last two games of the season if they win 10 games. Let, let, me, let me put it that way. But I think they absolutely can win the decision, uh, win the division. Uh, Thomas Sills comes in on Facebook. He has, and thanks for the call to action. I'm seeing those Facebook likes coming in quickly. I think, uh, Ryan Nielsen has something to prove his DC, uh, and he can only improve the pass rush. Um, and yes, as a solo, cause he was a dual, uh, defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator playing for 
the former defensive coordinator in New Orleans. So getting out and getting on your own, and if only Dean Peace had had this level of uh, investment in his defense, I think we would have much fonder memories of the Dean Peace defenses. I think Dean Peace did an amazing job um, with his with his two years, given the lack of resources available to him on the defensive side of the ball. But now you're bringing in Caden Ellis, Jesse Bates, Jeff Akuda, David Onyemata, Calais Campbell. Uh, that's five off the top of my head of players. Mike Hughes, that's six. I feel like I'm missing somebody on the defensive line. You get Taquan Graham back. That's seven. That we're talking eight players, all competent pros. Clark Phillips, a really, really good football player, coming in as a as a as a rookie uh, at corner, could be a uh, you know a fourth or fifth defensive back. So, and, and and what you say, Thomas here, he can only improve the pass rush. Absolutely. And what's interesting is the Falcons still lack that dominant guy. That that one guy that you know the Cam Jordan and I know you know Cam's not necessarily a great name around uh, Falcons country, but Cam's a great player and he plays a part. He plays a role. He enjoys taking digs at the Falcons. It's part of the rivalry, um, so I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Doesn't mean I don't want the Falcons to kick his butt, but they they, they don't have that guy yet. But what Nielsen and what the Saints defense was really good at was getting pressure from a bunch of different directions. So if I can move Troy Anderson and Caden Ellis around and use them as, as wildcats out there or jokers or whatever you want to call them, um, I can move them around in different places to find their spot. Each of those guys could come up with seven, eight, nine sacks each and 16 sacks would be just about how many the entire team had two years ago. I think they only got up to like 25 or 26 last year, which was still second to to the second to last in the NFL. You think of the Philadelphia Eagles breaking 70 sacks last year, and I think the Falcons have 44 in the last two years combined. Yeah, yeah. The 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 that's the good thing for Nielsen is the bar has been set so low on defense that it's got to improve. How much will it improve? We'll see. But, the, and, and again, I don't blame this on Dean Peace. I don't even blame it on the players. It's an organizational failure at how little talent you were able to put on the field because you were so hamstrung by the salary cap and previous draft picks hadn't worked out. So I think Fontenot and Arthur Smith have done a good job, did a good job with Dean Peace to do what they could to survive these last two seasons. Marco Z coming in. He says Algier has a chance to prove last year was no fluke and then he can hang with Bijan. Yeah, Algier is should be getting plenty of attention. And I, I think Smitty on the sports machine had this discussion uh, last night on his pod. Um, and when I saw he, he tags he tags my Falcons account on it, so I kind of see the I see the the conversation. And my thought, I think he let it off with can they have two 1,000 yard rushers? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Tyler wasn't a full-time starter and had broke a thousand last year in Bijan. But more important for me, can they have 3,000 yards from scrimmage between the two of them? I think that's possible. Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier, you know, there's no reason to think that they they can't knock on the door of, you know, 1,500 between the two of them times two. 3,000 yards from scrimmage from your two backs. Is that possible? If I get 800 yards rushing from Tyler and I get um, a thousand, you know, a thousand to 1,200, there's 2,000 yards rushing 
from from Bijan somewhere in there. Well, I always like to point out that under Sean Payton, Alvin Kamara had 80 catches for four or five years in a row. He had between 80 and 85, like four straight years. I think that's how they're going to use Bijan. Bijan's going to get 50 to 60 touches as receptions. Average 10 yards a carry, there's another five or reception, there's another 500 yards. I think you're I think you're knocking on the door of 3,000 yards. And if that happens, they're not fourth as a running back duo. Little segue to the part of our topic. The best backfield duos by Bleacher Report had the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Jones, and AJ Dillon one, Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell two, Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford three, Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier four. If they get to close, if they sniff 3,000 yards from scrimmage, is there any question who the number one duo is out there anymore? Might be tough unless you got Derrick Henry running for 2,000 yards again, plus whoever he's playing with, then it, then it might be tough. Um, Keith Brugman also points out another good one here. He says, my selection for something to prove is Arthur Smith. Two seven and 10 records, but has a path to a reigning record this year. Yeah. Can he be a coach who does more than just gets the bunch out of a best of scrappers, a bunch of scrappers. He overachieved with a team that could have been three and 14. I I think he did. I think he overachieved. He got the best out of those guys. This is a different group. This is a more talented group. He's got, everybody's got buy-in. I I think the answer on this is, well, I, I say 10 wins, maybe 12. So I think he's done a really good job. And they've assembled. So, and you, they've assembled the line, the pieces on offense. That's Arthur Smith's side of the ball. And they've put money into defensive guys that they can win with now, free agents. I said they built an offense. They have bought a defense. How long will it take all those new faces to play well together? Now, it should be week one that they're playing better than they were last year. Uh, how long can they, they really reach their peak? We'll see. You know, six, seven weeks come playoff time maybe make a run like 2016 where the Falcons defense on paper wasn't all that good, but they hit their stride the last couple of weeks of the season and uh, really wreaked havoc in the playoffs for two games and three quarters in 2016. <laughs> um, Philip comes in. He asked a question. Welcome, Philip. Appreciate you being here. It feels like a newer name as well. Thanks for chiming in. He says, what side of the ball is the backbone of this team, offense or defense? Uh, It's offense, without a doubt. And if I'm saying what's the backbone of this team, it's the offensive line. Uh, That's where they've put, I think the Falcons now have the most expensive offensive line in the NFL. And last year they played like one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, Jake Matthews is on a huge cap number. It's like 28 million. It's a huge, it's a big, big number. Uh, Chris Lindstrom's on 20. Caleb McGarry's on 12, and then they got two rookie contracts. So you're talking 28, 40. It's about $60 million. It's about a $60 million line. That's almost a quarter. That's it's about a quarter of your entire salary cap is in your line of in your offensive line. That's the identity. That's the backbone of this team. Now, however, if you flip over to the defensive line now, you've got some OGs out there. You've got some guys that you can go to war with. It was Grady Jerry taking on uh, Grady Jarrett taking on triple teams. Now you got David Onyemata in there. Now you got Calais Campbell in there. You got Young Buck Taquan Graham coming in. Um, second year Arnold Ebiketti, Lorenzo. You got Lorenzo Carter on the edge. You got another very good pro in Bud Dupree on the edge. 
that front five or however they want to line up with a four and two outside linebackers is now veteran and talented. Wow. That's a change for the last couple of years. And again, I can't wait to see, um, I can't wait to see, uh, Taquan Graham come back and I hope he's back out there going full drills. He made such an improvement from year one to year two before his, his season was cut short by injury. He he can be a star in this league if he continues that same same path. He was a plus starter in his second year after being a liability as a rookie. Um, and again, through no fault of his own, the fourth round, fifth round guy in the trenches being thrown out there to the Wolves because they didn't have anybody else. Uh, Rusty Moore, welcome in, Rusty. He says, uh, why did Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot wait so long to play Dez last year? after Mariota did a stop, drop, and roll Hail Mary on Thursday Night Football. We should have seen Dez the next game against Pittsburgh. Uh, would have had a bigger sample size. Rusty, I think most of us agree with that. You know, one of the questions was why? Why wait? And I, I think that's one of the reasons you saw Arthur Smith react so harshly when Mariota then, after they bench him, we're making a move. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to go get my knee surgery. It's been bothering me. He's like, why didn't you say something about it? You know, I'm out here protecting you doing this stuff and and you're, you know, you're playing hurt when, you know, and, and, and we usually give guys credit. They usually get plot, you know, bonus points for playing hurt. Um, Cause he's trying to hold on to a job. He's trying to hold on to a job as long as he can. Um, but I agree. I, I would have liked to have seen Desmond Ritter a little sooner. We don't know where he is mentally, how ready he was. We don't know those things. Um, but the only way to find out is to, to get him in there, right? I mean, as you're saying with a bigger sample size, if you were going to stink your first game, you know, the Falcons were hovering around 500. The, 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 the division was so bad. They're like, oh, they're in one game of the playoff race. I'm like, I don't care. You know, this is not a Super Bowl contending team that just because they've watered down the playoffs so much that I can be two games under 500 and still be in the hunt. That's a detriment to the league. You know, you're not a playoff team. I would have liked to have seen them come in a, a little bit early as well. Um, Brandon comes in, Brandon Parham says, what do the Falcons truly need to be playoff contenders? We're always playoff threats, uh, but always fall short in facing teams. We don't see a lot during regular season. Um, what do the playoffs truly need to be playoff contenders? One, they need the offensive line to keep playing at a high level. And two, they need competency at the quarterback position. If they get those two things, I feel good about number one. feel pretty good about number two on that one. Like I said, the defense has a lot of new faces and it will have to come together. But the defense, they won seven games with a, with a patchwork defense the last two seasons. So the defense will be better purely on roster alone, in my opinion. Um, you know, when you've got, oh, I've given them so much crap through the years. What was the the edge two years ago, Steven, it wasn't Steven means. Was it, what was his name that got like one hit the entire season? I've already blanked my mind of him. Ended up with the Ravens on their practice squad last year. Um, but the defense will improve. So I think this, they need competency out of the quarterback position. Um, healthy Kyle Pitts, you know, stay healthy. That's always the easy answer, Brandon. Stay healthy. You know, we talk about 3000 yards from scrimmage as a, as a, really fun goal for Algier and Robinson that doesn't happen if there's uh if there's any injuries in there so that can't happen um a smart ride coming in here he's on the negative side of things he says a 60 million dollar offensive line that struggles at pass blocking oh boy well we'll see 
we'll see. That will all be um, – it's all connected. You know, Matt Ryan would hold on to the ball and didn't have a lot of weapons. Kyle Pitts was your best receiver. Even when Calvin Ridley was out there before he quit the team, wasn't very good. You've got a little bit better weapons this year, I think, and Pitts, and especially if you go with a, a, a five. Let's say I'm in a, a run-and-shoot type offense, but if I go five weapons on the field at once – and I go Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson, Drake London, Tyler Algier, and B. John Robinson in the slot. Uh, that's that's more weapons than the Falcons have had in several years. Um, you know, since probably since Tony Gonzalez was patrolling the fields. Uh, it's been a while. So if I can dictate the offensive, you know, offensive line with the running game, and I've got more weapons out there that are going to put the fear into defenses a little bit more than they have in the past, and Desmond Ritter can be competent. I think you'll see better pass blocking from the offensive line. So I'm not too worried about those guys. Uh, Jeremiah, welcome in, Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't get tired. Kinlaw, uh, thanks for coming in on Facebook. He says, do you think Jeff uh, Jeffrey Okuda holds his own opposite of B.J. Terrell? I do. Um, he's got a lot to prove. Again, he's in the last year of a deal. He's a pending free agent. If there was any time to get it together, right, Caleb McGarry? He could make eight figures next year. He could have a good season and make $10 million. That's one with seven zeros. That's eight zeros. If he has a good season, not even a great season, if he has a good season, he can be a $10 million cornerback coming off of uh, coming out of this fourth year with the Atlanta Falcons. So again, like Ritter, it's set up for him. You've got so much more talent around you that I think that Akuda would love to show everybody why he was the number three overall pick. Um, he's got a lot to, he's got a lot to prove. He, he, he might be my number one, number two, Ritter's the number, number one on the list, number two on that list of who has the most to prove. So it will be interesting. The, the good thing is if you look at the depth chart, there's guys that can, you don't have to have him. You know, I, I, I think I went through the last week, I went through the, the cornerback depth chart. It's like there's five guys I would rather have at corner than Fabian Moreau. And Fabian Moreau was a starter two years ago. There's five, including like D. Alford, Clark Phillips, um, Mike Hughes, AJ Terrell, Jeff Akuda. There's five off the top of my head without even looking at a depth chart. You know, of course, to be fair, I'd probably have rather had me out there playing corner than the way Moreau played that one two years ago. <laughs> uh, Philip <clears throat> comes back in on Facebook. He says, How many sacks do you think we get out of this D? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say 35. Would that be too ambitious? If you added another eight or nine sacks, I think you need at least 35. Let's say, let's let's set the over under for this team. And so what is it? It's it's 619, 2023 at 937 a.m. The over under on sacks, 40. Let me look. Um, there's probably already names out there. Um there's probably already an over under on it. But if I look at defense last year, oh, I have to look at stats. Bear with me for one second. Season leader, leaders team. And if I look at sacks, there's 70 from the Philadelphia Eagles. Isn't that crazy? 40 would have put the team. There was um, the Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Chargers all had 40. And they were right in the middle of the pack. So... At 39 and below, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There were 15 teams, 15 teams that were below 40, 39 and below. So I'm going to set it at 40. 
and say this isn't this becomes an average pass rush. An average pass rush for this team is about four steps over god-awful is what it's been. It's been non-existent, god-awful, bad, average. So if they take four runs up the ladder to average, that's a huge improvement. So I'm going to say I'm going to say 40. That's what I'm going to set the over/under at, Philip. I think that's what this can get. Who's the leader going to be? It's going to be 40 with no one with more than than 10. No one. No, there's not going to be a double-digit sack on this team. You're going to have, you know, six six guys with six somewhere in that. That's how I think they're going to get pressure. Pressure. They're going to bring it from all over the place. Um. Keith Brugman asks, he says, is there a scenario where Arthur Smith is let go or does he have one more year regardless? There is no regardless in the NFL. Um, you know, you, you've, you saw, you know, Keith, you're a Denver Broncos fan. You saw a guy not even make it to the end of his first year, you know? So there is no regardless. The wheels would have to come off. If this team wins five games, I think there's, he'd be in trouble. Um, seven, we're talking one more year and then beyond that, you know, you've, you've, you've earned it, but there, there is no regardless in the NFL. You're only, you're one game away from losing your job in the NFL, unless, you know, for a a relatively new coach. So, um, I, I think the Falcons, even if they were to go eight and nine and miss the playoffs, he'd get, he'd get a fourth year, um, six or seven wins. It's, it's, that seat's going to get hot five wins and you're in trouble. So uh, we'll see. There's always that, you know, if he's, he goes 12 wins, I'd be signing to a contract extension. So Brandon on that question. And then I think we're, we're going to, we're going to hop out of here. I'll finish maybe with, uh, I, I talked about the, the best duos of all time. Uh, we'll finish on that one real quick. Uh, do you think at the end of the season, Arthur Smith is gone? And if so, who is the best replacement for the Falcons head coach? If it gets that point at the end of the season, um, no, I don't. Uh, Ryan comes and he follows up. I don't think Arthur Smith would be gone. Um, but Ryan says there's no way Smith and Terry Fontenot is gone. This is the, the real first year for this team. Yeah, again, Ryan, I, I, you never say never. Again, you, you you hired Nathaniel Hackett in Denver and he's gone before he even finishes his first season. There's there's never, you never say never. But, you know, the the possibility of this team going 3-14 and 14 is pretty remote. You know, if this team gives up on them and and they look disorganized you're in personal fouls and doing all kinds of stuff and there's there's discipline problems then then any coach is in trouble so brian to, you know to, to put it your way i don't i don't think arthur smith's seat is any hotter than you know any other coaches in the profession it's just that's just the nature of the beast so you know i, I think overall he's he's pretty safe but no one's ever completely safe that, that's my point never say never on this um so I'm not even thinking about, you know, who, who might you go after next? And I, I wouldn't know the candidates, but I, I think, I think Arthur Smith is in good shape. That said, Ryan, I think Terry Fontenot would get another year. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think even if the wheels fell off, Terry Fontenot would get to hire, help hire the next coach. Um, but I agree. This is, this is the first year for this team. They survived the last two. The rebuild starts in earnest in 2023. You'd like to think that this team going on a, a check mark has hit bottom. You know, if I'm looking at a line graph, they hit bottom the last two seasons. Now they're on their way up. If they're not on their way up, then you got problems. But this is a team that has shown a willingness to play for their coach. 
um, which is half the battle in this league because talent can be so even. And in this case, talent wasn't even. You know, the Falcons were way behind on, on players. So, you know, the willingness to play for their coach and fight, and he's got a good record in one-score games, built a foundation, an identity, a culture, all those type of things that I think that this, this team, this Falcons team, is in a good spot to make a playoff push this season. And then, you know, and then one more free agency year, one more draft class in 2024, they could be contenders. They could absolutely be contenders. How far they can go is going to depend a lot on the growth of Desmond Ritter, who was the number one Falcons with most approved. Now, real quick before I get out of here, since I, I teased it early. Now, Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier could be a really good duo. Absolutely could be a, a really good duo. Um, but let's go back through the years. Tevin Coleman and Devontae and um, God, I'm already forgetting his name. What's Devontae? Devontae Freeman's name uh, was a pretty good was a pretty good duo, but my favorite duo, my first duo was William Andrews and Lynn Kane. That goes back to the early eighties. But then when William Andrews played with Gerald Riggs, that was a two headed freaking beast to behold. It's a shame. The Falcons were so bad because those guys should be remembered like, like uh, Roger Craig and Tyler Wendell. If you, if you remember those guys from the 49ers, um, they were absolute wrecking ball beasts. William Andrews and Gerald Riggs. They didn't get to play together for a whole lot of time, but they did get to play together. So for my all-time right now, um, best backfield duo for the Atlanta Falcons, it would be it would be William Andrews and Gerald Riggs. Go back and look around. Go to Football Reference, type in Atlanta Falcons ref, and it, you can bring up all the years and click on the box scores from about 86, I think it would be when they were both there, but, and, and get a look at William Andrews and, and Gerald Riggs and what they did for the Falcons. That would be, would be mine. And then Rusty has one last question. Uh, why does Arthur Blank hire the head coach for the GM? Shouldn't a GM select his guy? Terry and Arthur vibe. Good. But wonder if Art would be Terry Fontenot's first choice. If he had to say, um, that's a great question, Rusty. And, and, uh, and Keith says when, when the Falcons add in Cordero Patterson, it's unfair. Yeah, there's the X factor too. There's the running back trio. Wouldn't trade that room for anybody. And I think it's the cheapest running back room in the NFL. How about that? Um, why does a, I think this one was on availability. Um, if the Titans were out of it earlier or whatnot, but Again, they're both reporting to, and this is a structure you see a little bit more often, is they it's not a hierarchy where the general manager, you know, is at the top of the top of the org chart and the the coach is underneath them. It's really now in a lot of places where the coach and the general manager both report to the president of football or ownership in this case. So, you know, that's why. Um had to do with timing of availability to bring them in together. Um, this is who I want here. This is who I want for here. Either y'all make it work or I'm not hiring you. So I think that's, that's the main reason is because the, the org charts have changed a little bit where coaching and personnel are on the same line on an org chart. That's, um, that, that would be my answer to that one. Rusty, uh, Eddie Carswell coming in. Welcome, Eddie. Appreciate you being here. Uh, he says, is Jesse Bates as good as advertised? We'll see. Um, you can't tell anything during minicamp OTAs, uh, but he got paid. And the biggest complaint I've seen so far was they paid market value for safety as if that's a bad thing. You got to overpay just a little bit, but he was making, he was on a fifth year option, I believe, or a one-year deal. He was making 15 last year. 
Um, so I think they, they bring him in for, you know, 17. They gave him a slight increase in order to get him to come to Atlanta. So he was making good money in Cincinnati. That's a, that's a good, that was a big time free agent get and a building block for this team. Um, you know, last year, Eddie, I don't know how long you've been watching, but last year I wanted to take Kyle Hamilton in that, with that number eight pick that was used on Drake London, just to be kind of the leader the face of the franchise he's from atlanta super talented ended up being the number one ranked safety on pff period last year you would have cost control there um but again for the same reason you not necessarily want a running back that high that's not as big a deal because safeties don't typically make as much once you get past the top two or three guys um but just now you've got that guy in jesse bates 26 years old it's gonna have him in his prime a building block on this defense a lot of the guys that you bought are on one-year deals. You know, Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree, they're not going to be around for a long time. But Caden Ellis is a young guy, big free agent from the New Orleans Saints. Jesse Pates, Bates is a young guy, big free agents. Then they put a bunch of one-year type guys. Even David Onyemata may be only here two, three years at, at most. So I think um, he's a building block. And they're hoping that he can be uh, an all-pro type for five, six years for this team. Um let me see here. Uh, Mr. Smith says, with a little over $10 million in cap left, do you think we go after another free agent? I want Justin Houston. Justin Houston, I got to watch him at the Dome when he was in high school. He was a Statesboro guy before ended up at the University of Georgia. Um, he had a big defensive tackle that was on that team, too, and I don't remember what happened to him. Um, that was a pretty good team that got to come up in the Dome. Um, I don't know. We've talked about um, Daniel Hunter and why he makes sense. You know, with his cap hit only being about $5.4 million to make a trade for him, he would be on the last year of his deal. But you've got a fairly crowded edge room, but do you have that one guy? I don't know that I want to bring in a guy for one year, Mr. Smith, on this that would chew up the rest of my cap space. Um, you know, unless he's a 15-sack-a-year guy. I would go after Daniel Hunter if I knew I could sign him possibly for another three years because he's I think he's 29 years old. But, you know, Arnold Ebichetti, uh, Lorenzo Carter's on a series of one-year deals. Bud Dupree's on a one-year deal. D'Angelo Malone's on a fourth-year guy. You've got bigger defensive ends now if you want to go to a front four. I, I just think the next moves with draft as you're building this team, if he's there, you got to get your pass rusher. Um, Ebichetti could be that guy, but I'd sure like to see him be a number two to a bona fide number one. Um and, and Ryan comes and he agrees with me. I don't think we need to worry about a vet defensive end. Uh, we need to see what Dupree, Carter, um, Malone, and uh, Ebiketti can do. And then, again, you bought pressure uh, in Caden Ellis. So Caden Ellis can walk up and be a pass rusher, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be off the edge, but he can be. But he can also shoot gaps up the middle and come delayed. On that note, y'all, I plan on going about 30 minutes, but it started rolling in here. And, uh, again, when y'all are involved with the chat, it's certainly – makes things go faster, makes it more entertaining, and I have more fun doing it. Uh, this was the Falcons podcast. Uh, if you're listening after the fact, remember we go live on YouTube and Facebook on Mondays at 9 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. So we'll be back. Nick will be with me, and we'll go through some more things, see what the news cycle brings us on Wednesday morning. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Make sure you hit a like or a subscribe if this is your first time here on YouTube. Or follow on Facebook if this is your first time here and get those notifications to make sure you know when we're going on. Because I had a great time with y'all. This was a, a terrific group this morning. 
on a soggy Sunday. I think the a soggy Monday morning, I think the sun's trying to come out a little bit. Um, but we'll be back Monday morning at 9 a.m. Thanks, everybody, for being here and your participation. Until then, see you later.